This is Sports and Torts with David Spada and Elliot Harris on TalkZone.com. This is a true honor here to talk to a gentleman who just went into the Pro Football Hall of Fame this year. I saw him in Canton, former Pitt Panther and Minnesota Vikings, San Francisco 49er, Chris Stolman. How you doing, Chris? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me. You played college football with my favorite NFL player of all time besides you, Dan Marino. How did you guys lose a game? Yeah. At, how did you guys lose a game at Pittsburgh when you were there? You know what? We were independent, and um, I mean, we played some tough, tough teams. Um, and I mean, you know, you got to be on your, you got to be on your game every week. And um, you know, it just seems like uh, you know we would somewhere along the road there would be a bump, and you know, we just couldn't recover. But uh, those were all fun. You know, memories and years of, of playing football. My first three years in school was thirty. I was thirty-three and three, which is you know pretty impressive in itself. And who were the three losses to? Dream out. Another one was Penn State, and we came in and played Georgia, and we beat them. If they would have won, they'd have won the national championship. That was nineteen eighty-one. Uh, I think we lost to Florida State one year, and. Um, I'm trying to think who else might have, you know, would have, you know, beaten us or something like that. But I mean, it was probably a pretty good team. But I mean, you know, when you're when you're an independent, you're playing, you know, the best teams that are out there, you know, at that time. And you know, I, I just look back on those years and made a lot of friends and memories, and you know, it was just wonderful times. How did you end up at Pitt? I would assume Penn State came after you. As well, they did. Um, you know, I, I was just never a Penn State guy, even though I grew up in a Penn State environment. Um, I looked at Penn State as almost like a cult. Um, you just didn't have the you, you just didn't have the freedom. You know, their Penn State, which is a great organization, a great school, but I always seen the their uniforms matching their personalities. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. I mean, it, was like, it was just kind of blah. You know what I mean? There's nothing that stood out and said, you know, these guys are, you know, they they weren't Alabama. You know, they, you know, they just they didn't have everybody was kind of programmed and they did what they were supposed to do and we had success and they didn't want to deviate from that plan. A former Pitt Panthers in the Hall of Fame like you, Tony Dorsett, said he was all set to go to Penn State, but Joe Paterno never said two words to him, never recruited him. He said, I went to Pittsburgh, and my whole goal was just to stick it in Penn State's face, he said, because they took me for granted, and I said, you know what, I'm going to Pittsburgh, and we're going to win it all. Well, you know what, and then that's funny, because when I was in, uh, I grew up literally probably 100 miles from Penn State. They were never like warm and fuzzy coach. I don't remember coaches coming in and, and spending time with me. I was recruited by everybody. You know, you might have got a letter, but that was about it. And, you know, like I said, I mean, you know, those personalities were a lot like, uh, you know, their, their uniform was a lot like those personalities. I don't know if they expected the kid to kind of run the Penn State and say, hey, are you going to recruit me or what? Or sometimes schools, if you're too close to the school, they know too much about you, and they're just not uh, they're not turned on by you. So, you know, when I got a chance to go to the University of Pittsburgh, 
you know, I, I played with some great guys. Bill Moss played in National Football League. Uh, played with uh, Tim Lewis, who played in National Football League, and just, you know, Bill Flanick, a ton of other guys that played, and it was, it was, it just had that family fun environment that you would think college would be. Growing up in practice in college against Marino, did you envision him as being an elite quarterback at the next level? You know what? We had so many great players, it wasn't even funny. Um, to answer your question directly, no. Um, I mean, he would throw interceptions in practice. But you also, like I said before, you had guys like, you know, Carlton Williams who played, you know, in San Francisco and win a Super Bowl. Lennon Pappy Thomas. You had Tim Lewis. I mean, we had the, the class of uh, 80. I think it was, yeah, the class of 80 had like 12 or 13 guys drafted off of it. So, you know, as a, you know, you're practicing against some of the best players in the country. Uh, we expected to win. We expected, you know, great performances. We expected all the stuff that, you know, our players tend to show, you know, once they got into the pros and, 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 you know, really developed and uh, refined their, their, their skill set. They talk about Penn State being linebacker you, but Pittsburgh, I mean, they had you. Ricky Jackson, Hugh Green, you guys were loaded. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, Jerry Borowski, um, we we had tons of guys. Uh, Paul Dunn, we had uh, Jimbo Covert. Um, I mean, just Bill Fraley. I mean, I can name just guys and guys that, are, that play pro ball. Ron Sams, uh, Rob Fane. I mean, this was the offensive line that you practice against. All of them wouldn't play pro ball, <laughs> so it was it was really it was a, a a you know you're in that moment but you don't know that how good the guys are around you, and it was just one of those things where you just took it for granted because they were just great players. I mean, we had Rick Tricano, you know, who was you know starting before Dan Marino, you know, he goes on and he plays in you know uh, Cleveland. You know, then Dan comes up and Dan lights it up. And, I mean, it's just one guy after the next. You mentioned you played against Georgia. Was Herschel Walker on that team then? Yeah, I was. It was the 81, it was the 81 Sugar Bowl. And, um, you know, uh, we uh, uh, we played those guys in New Orleans and uh, we beat them. You know, uh, you know, I think it was we were making a closing drive right off the pass to uh, James Brown, our tight end. He caught it, went in, scored, game over with. And after college, you get drafted by the Minnesota Vikings in the first round. You're the number four overall pick. Do you feel any sort of pressure when that happens, or what goes through your mind? Well, yeah, I mean, when they, when they first of all, the pressure is on the team. It's not on the player because the, the, the team drafted the player, not the player drafted the team. So, you know, you have a situation where that, you know, they felt that you were good enough to play at this level. I think as a player, you owe them that uh, respect to do everything you can to to meet their expectations. But if you can't, you just can't. I mean, you just can't get water from a rock. And uh, if a guy can play, he can play. But if he can't, you know, you can't hold that against him. He could have maxed out in college. And, you know, never become the guy that, quote, unquote, 
you thought he should have been. And, uh, you know, and then that's, that has happened. I think, you know, it takes, you know, the NFL spent millions and millions of dollars uh, recruiting and watching over guys. And it's just a situation where that, you know, they need to, to kind of just maybe too many opinions because they're missing on too many players right now. I see that the first I see the first pick in that draft was Bruce Smith. You were the fourth pick. So two of the top four sack leaders came out of that draft of all time. Oh, absolutely. You know, I could have very easily been the second pick, too, because what happened was Buffalo has already chosen Bruce. Minnesota had uh, the number two pick. Number three was Ray Childress, and Ray was already taken by the Houston Oilers. So Atlanta and Minnesota switch from two to four, and Bill Fraley goes to uh, Atlanta, the number two pick, and I go to uh, Minnesota as the number four pick. So, I mean, you could have had one and two, you know, Hall of Famers. You start off your NFL career as linebacker, mm-hmm. and it was only when you got when, when they changed defensive schemes that you, you really uh, became the dominant force that you were. What was it like the first couple, three seasons at linebacker before switching? Well, the, the first two years that I played there, and it, it was, you know, it was pretty much two years. Uh, I switched. We were making a run for the, play, uh, the playoff. It was late, late into the season, and I think I had, like, two or three games to play it. Our defensive line was pretty beat up, and they just said, hey, if you can step up there and rush the passer on fourth down, it would help us out a great deal. You know, I, and I said, thank God, because it got me back to doing what I did in college. And it was it was somewhat difficult. But I tell you what, in 13 years, you know, amassing, you know, 150 sacks, I mean, you know, 150 and a half, I mean, you were, I was on a roll. And it just, you know, I look at that and I say, you know what? I wonder what would have happened if I'd have been playing for the 49ers or if I'd been playing this position, you know, from the time I came into the league. You know, that whole, you know, process would have probably changed. But, you know what, the end result is the same. You know, I went into the Pro Football Hall of Fame this year. Um, you know, I've I made not only my parents and my family proud, but I've made the Minnesota Vikings proud. And, and the University of Pittsburgh and, and the people who followed me and supported me, you know, along the way. And, I, and I'm greatly happy and appreciative of that. They always talk about the Purple People leaders in Minnesota with that defensive line with Alan Page, Carl Eller, Jim Marshall. But your line, I think, was just as good with you, Keith Millard, and then later on you had John Randall. I mean, you guys were pretty loaded, too. We, we were, man, we were a talented group. And uh, we were a talented group in the sense where that, you know, we were so good, John Randall couldn't even get on the field. I mean, he was playing behind Keith Millard, and he couldn't even get on the field. So when, when you look at that and you, you realize that, you know, how great, you know, the talent that we had around us and how great the players were and the coaches were, uh, we knew we had something special, and that has been the backbone of Minnesota for a long time. Everybody's team is built differently. Uh, some teams are just strong in quarterback. They always get strong quarterback play. They just don't miss on that. Some, guys, some teams do a great job with the running back. 
you know, then there's teams that do a great job with the defensive line, and Minnesota's definitely one of those teams. Now, among your many attributes, you're known for bringing a briefcase with you into the, the uh, Vikings locker room. Can you explain how that came about? You know, I, you know, I always felt that, you know, this was their payment like an executive. You had to act and conduct yourself like an executive. Uh, you know, it was, even though you had your hand in the dirt and it was blue-collar work, but you, you, you always wanted to, you know, we always had a saying, look good, feel good, play good. And I always respected that. And that was the kind of thing that I've seen myself as a player and, and as, as a man, how I approach my craft. So that was probably the big, the big thing that kind of motivated me to, to you know, carry it that way. I didn't want to. I grew out of the gym bag stage. You know, I was, I wasn't no longer carrying your note in a, a gym bag with a wrinkle and, you know, you're asking for a pen. You know, you're, you're beyond that, and now you need to act like that. You played for some great coaches and Jerry Burns. You also played for Ford, Ford Fazio at Pittsburgh and with the 49ers with you, Bill Walsh and George Seaford. Who was the best coach you ever had? Wow. The best coach I've ever had? Um, gosh. I, I don't know. I, I would have to. It would probably be. I would, even, I would probably say. Uh, but Bud Grant. And the, the reason why I would say Bud Grant is because Bud didn't talk a lot, but you remember every conversation you had with Bud. So, you know, I remember there was a guy on a team who was getting a lot of penalties on the kickoff and special teams, and he told this guy, he said, you're going to play yourself right off this team. And, you know, that stuck with me. He didn't tolerate a lot of nonsense, and it was about business. It was about being a professional. What what offensive lineman gave you the most trouble? Gary Zimmerman. We played together for seven years, and we played against each other for about three. That was tough. So he knew how to hold you. He knew how to do everything. Gary was a great. I mean, he's a Hall of Famer, a great player. I credit him. As, you know, for me being where I am today, as he did when when he went in, because if you think about it, man, I mean, we our our line was this is this was the right side of the line on defense and the left side of the line on offense. At tackle, you had Gary Zimmerman, and at guard, you had Randall McDaniel. On the uh, defensive side of the ball, on the right side of the ball, you had. Uh, Keith Millard, and you had John Randall, and you had myself. Out of the five guys I named, four of us are in the Hall of Fame. And Millard deserves to be. So, and, and you know what? If Keith would have stayed out there, there's no question in my mind Keith would have been in the Hall of Fame. When the Vikings made their trade for Herschel Walker, did you think, okay, this is our key to the Super Bowl, or did the players think we gave up too much for this guy? Well, we gave up too many good players. We, 
give up way too many good players. Way too many good players. Uh, there was no player worth 11, 11 guys. Not no one player. Did the players in the locker room think, okay, we're putting too much into this one guy? I mean, he's just a player, and this is a team? You know what? Uh, I'm sure they did. I mean, you know, I've known Herschel from college, and, I mean, there was no way in the world that Herschel could have fulfilled their expectations. I mean, there's, I mean he would have to score three touchdowns every game. You know, I mean, you know, there was just no way that he could literally just be as good as they thought he could be. And I mean, you know, I could. I don't care even if it, even if it was a quarterback. I don't even think it would. It would. It would matter. Uh, I don't think they could have survived that. You know, that scrutiny. How were you able to only miss two games in a 15-year career? Uh, through the grace of God. Uh, I mean, you know, He has blessed me with a strong body uh, to get out and, and play and, and play week in and week out. Uh, now, if there was a cold or the flu, you better keep guys away from me because I was looking sick in a heartbeat. But physically breaking out, you know, breaking bones, tearing ligaments and tendons and all that other stuff, nah, that wasn't, that wasn't an issue. But I could catch, a, I could catch a, a cold in a heartbeat. When you went into the Hall of Fame, what was going through your mind? You know, you know is this really real? Um... You know, am I, you know, my body of work, was it that good that they would consider me one of the best that ever played the game? I mean, that that's the thing that, are, you know, are you really, you know, uh, you know, good enough for this, this award? I mean, you know, do you really deserve this award? I mean, that, it, it's very uh, humbling. Um, you know, it's just... You see it, and it's hard to believe that, you know, your boss is going to be in Canton, you know, forever. It's hard to believe that, you know, you are part of a very small group of, you know, guys that that has made, you know, this game great. Now, to your induction, uh, your, your presenter was your son. Correct. What was that like to listen? What was that like to listen to him talk about his dad? You know that was amazing. That was really, um, you know, I played while he was, you know, he was growing up. So obviously he wasn't, um, you know, he didn't see my whole career. But he got a chance to see just how good I was, how how much of a professional I was. And, I mean, he was just blown, he was just totally blown away by it, because to him, I'm just dad, you know, just, just dad. Now, I am sitting here and part of, you know, NFL history, and it's a little bit more than just, just dad, but he still treats me just like dad. There's no, there's no perks out of the deal. And now you have and your I, now you have your auction site going too, where the money goes to what gridiron grades? Well, here's here's what I got going on. Uh, I have uh, Chris Norman, uh, uh pro auction, and I have Celebrity Charitable Network. 
and what that is is basically this is this is what I do now. I help nonprofits, 501c3s, raise money, and we have six different platforms. Two sites is one. We have giving assistance. We have uh, raffles. We have uh, a company that's uh, called Snowball that we can build a, a, a fundraising event around any activity, and it helps nonprofits uh, reach their goals. Every year, you know, they're, they're, they're going to the same sources and trying to get the same types of funds. Even though the economics of this country has changed a lot, there's still a tremendous uh, uh, amount of people who love to give and help other people and, and charities and foundations. And all they ask for is just an opportunity. We just hosted an event for, uh, well, it's still going, actually, for the PCS uh, uh, bowl tickets uh, for uh, Notre Dame and Alabama. And... You know, we started uh, last Friday. Grady Quinn tweeted about it. Uh, you know, big Notre Dame alum. And next thing you know, uh, we didn't sold, you know, over $11,000 worth of tickets. And, you know, for this package, which is a great package. I mean, this package here has airfare and hotel and uh, parking pass, fan, uh, fan pass to the fan experience, and uh, club-level seats. So it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful, wonderful package to uh, you know to bid on. You know, three tickets is fifty bucks. You know, it's twenty five dollars uh, if you buy one ticket, and uh, it's just a wonderful way to to help charities to to raise money. And this benefits all of the Olympians, Bob Beeman's uh, charity, and uh, we just feel very humbled and honored to be able to to share and have a platform to to help so many charities, you know, to, to make their way through, to honor their cause. So you're helping. So, so what did you think when uh, Pittsburgh lost Notre Dame, though? They could have ended Notre Dame's championship season. Yeah, you're right about that. And I was a little, I was in the air, and I seen the highlights, so I was a little ticked. But I, I, I know that if you're playing Notre Dame and South Bend, they're going to do everything. I mean, they're going to do everything to win this game. And, you know, to take them to three overtimes, I'm not saying that Notre Dame doesn't deserve to be in the game. But I can say this here. The University of Pittsburgh is not that good. It looked like Dave Watson was coaching Pittsburgh, the way they played. <laughs> but it was, you know, it's, it's just, I'm proud of my Pitt Panthers. Um, you know, I'm, I'm proud of, you know, my time there and, and, and the legacy that I left and you know, to be a part of, you know, that family, it's, it's, it's great. Um, and anything I can do to help them or, you know, uh, you know, anybody else, you know, I'm, I'm always, you know, willing to do that. They had to kill you, though, when Dave Watson was coaching Pittsburgh, because I remember him coaching the Bears, and I just shook my head going, what are we doing with this guy as a coach? <laughs> you know what? I tell you what, uh, I, I thought Dave was a really good. I thought he was really good at that. I, I, re, I really did. And um, you know why they got rid of him? I don't know. Um, you know, it's just you know how college politics is. So I mean, you know, the coach who you know he's playing for the national championship one year. Uh, the guy at LSU, 
you know, two years ago he won the national championship. This year to get rid of him. So, you know, it's just, you know, these fans are tough. No, you're exactly right. I see that Pittsburgh's got eight NFL Hall of Famers tied for third most. Who's the next one to go in? Um, you know what? I got to see who's on the list. But I know that Darrell Reed has got a pretty good shot. And I, I would think Larry Fitzgerald would have a pretty good shot. But I got to see who. I think Ruben Brown was a great offensive lineman. For Buffalo. Exactly. Or Jimbo Colbert. I mean, he had a short career, but Jimbo. Yeah. I mean, you know, both of those guys, I would definitely, I would definitely give thumbs up to. I mean, this is, um, these guys are players. And that does it for another edition of Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com with David Spada, even when he's not here, and Elliot Harris, even when I am. I'd like to thank our guests, Paul Krause. And Chris Dolman, two greats from the Minnesota Vikings. I'd like to also thank our executive producer, Dave Olson. And most of all, I'd like to thank you for tuning in and listening, watching, whatever you're doing. We'll look forward to seeing you again next week on Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com.